Hi again, everybody. Moms and dads, boys and girls, you are in the chatterbox. Do you believe it? This is episode number... 80? 80. We awesome. are uh, 80 episodes old, and um, you can hear us on the podcast in addition to FM 98.3 KCRD. We've got a special guest, Edward Schaefer, and uh, you're going to hear more about them after we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, Remember, O most most gracious Virgin Virgin Mary, that that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Did we find the date for uh, Art and Augustine's big big shindig? We did. The Right to Life annual dinner, the Life Dinner, is on Friday, April 21st. And um, Father, Father, Dr. Lyle is the speaker. I've got his, uh, part of his book from from Dr. Dolhide that put this together, but this was inspired in part by Dr. Lyle. This is, the circle is coming complete. There you go. It's an always an awesome event, so if people have not gotten their tickets yet, go to uh, dcrtl.org or call them at 563-556-5960 and get your tickets. We have a special guest in the studio via our, our uh, connection that Chris Polly put together. Gosh, she is awfully good at, at uh, bringing guests from across the country and soon to be across the world. You know, it's pretty amazing that this little station here can talk with people, uh, like you say, across the, the country, across the world, um, and such good quality. I had good comments about our um, interview the previous week with, with Missy. Missy? Mm-hmm. She's a spark plug. She is. A- She's coming back. Good. We're, we're bringing her back, no doubt about it. Good. Edward Schaefer is president of a college called The Collegium. You can see what they do at The Collegium. That's the-collegium.org. And, Edward, you are not a household name around these parts. Give us a background on who you are, where you've been, what did you do, and what did you think? Well, my background is music. I uh, studied yeah, I studied, I've got five degrees in music, um, and, and I spent time studying chant in the National Conservatory at Paris. So it was in the 1990s where I really sort of turned and became fully immersed in the sacred patri- musical patrimony of the church, and that's where my dedication has been for the last 30 years or so. Vocal or music, or uh, instrumental? I was, well, I was trained as an organist, Yeah. but... My whole career really has been spent directing choirs, hmm. so a little bit of both. Nice. I, I married one of them women. <laughs> Fascinating. So you're a uh, choral music director? I am. And now a uh, college president. That doesn't seem like a uh, synchronous uh, path. How'd you get there? Well, I, I can tell you how we got there, but let me say first that um, this is, I'm kind of the poster child for liberal arts. Fine arts is a subset, I'll call it. Sure. But the kinds of work that I do, and when I went to administration, when I was I was sort of the I was associate dean, kind of the COO of a uh, an arts college. Mm-hmm. 
my music background prepared me really well to take on those tasks. I had to learn some specific duties, but but the kinds of things that people have to do in administrative settings where you've got to be able to problem solve and think creatively and work with people and, uh, you know, the, the kind of planning and, and, and mostly creative thinking for problem solving, all of those are things that you learn especially well in a music background, but certainly in a liberal arts background as well. So I'm kind of the poster child for for the kinds of things that liberal arts educated people can do mm-hmm. that people wouldn't wouldn't imagine. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember how we got together. I was doing some morning surfing of my emails and trying to clean out the junk and the spam and those kinds of things. And um, I remember now that you hit our website. I can't remember if I tipped you off to our website by making an inquiry of the college, but on our kcrd-fm.org inquiry, contact us, I get this email that says, Hi, I'm Ed Schaefer. I'm president of the college, and I'd like to talk to radio stations, your radio station, about the college. I thought, I like this guy already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know what intrigued you about us, but we sure are intrigued about what makes the collegium different than other higher education institutes can i can i can i introduce that with the story of how we actually we love stories we love stories i was a very successful choral director at um, an institution out in the northwest i was there for 21 years never thought i would leave i was a tenured professor Mm mm-hmm uh, tenure is a lifetime contract, and I felt um, kind of a moral, ethical responsibility to support the mission, vision of the institution f- for for that contract. The longer I was there, it, the harder it got. The institution was becoming more and more secular, and I had never looked at my job as just a job. It was a vocation. Sure. It became a moral dilemma, and it, I, at some point, we just had to leave. We just had to leave, and it was at that moment, looking for a job in another institution, that I realized that what was happening with regard to the Catholic identity and Catholic mission of my institution mm-hmm. was not isolated. It was system-wide. Everywhere I went and interviewed, it was the same thing. The modernists were creeping in? It was just, yeah, creeping is probably a... a Crawling. Too delicate of a word. Skipping, <laughs> jumping. Stampeding. <laughs> Stampeding. All right. There they blow. So, no, can I just interrupt? I, was this a was this a public college or a private college? No, it was a, no, it was a private Catholic institution. Okay. She didn't say Jesuit. She didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I um I ended up at the University of Florida. Okay. Wow, that's cross country. And I I kind of fought that for a while. I just I couldn't imagine why God had put me in this institution. I had never stepped foot in a public institution in my life. I was mm-hmm. a product of Catholic grade school, high schools, college. I had I, I had no idea what I was doing there. Well, it took me a while, but I began to realize that this God had plans that I didn't fully understand. And I will say the University of Florida was a great place for many things. It's an institution that 
they don't they don't plan for two years they plan for 50 years mm. they they they've got leaders who are very creative extraordinary intelligent and they really can look at the big picture from 80,000 feet and and make intelligent plans for what's going to happen mm -hmm. decades from now and that was really valuable for me very valuable and in addition i got some um what would you say? I, I suppose in the industry they would call it line experience. You know, I was, I was an associate dean of a small college, and as a result, I was basically the CEO. I had to, I had to run the day-to-day -day operations. So those two things really gave me a very valuable experience for what I'm doing now. I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was being prepared for. Um, while I was there, I, I would interview at other Catholic institutions thinking that's really where I belonged. And everywhere I went, it was the same. We were going back to the same thing we left. And we were sitting in the kitchen one evening, my wife and I, just kind of commiserating about the state of Catholic higher education. And I kind of jokingly said, maybe we should start a school. <laughs> Oops. And the room got Oops. the room got kind of quiet, and and uh, she said, "You know, I've been married to you for a long time, and of all the harebrained ideas you've had, and you've had a lot of them, <laughs> this is this might be a good idea." And I can tell you, well, she liked it. That wasn't that wasn't Karen speaking. That was God speaking because we had a very nice life in Florida. We had a nice home that was paid for. She had a piano studio with extraordinary students. I had a good job. Um, and I will tell you, Florida is a great place to live. It's oh, yeah. just a really nice place to live. So that started the ball rolling. And we, we thought originally we would start in Florida. There were, there were a lot of really major logistical issues that we just couldn't overcome. And I had gone to high school in Maryland, in Hagerstown, Maryland. I went to St. Mary Grady High School in Hagerstown, Maryland. I came back for a class reunion. Mm -hmm. One of my classmates had become a very successful leader in town. He threw the reunion, actually hosted the reunion. And I asked him if well, the downtown was in kind of a state of flux. Parts of it looked like it looked like when I was in high school 50 years earlier. There were some kind of exciting things going, but there was still a lot of empty space downtown. Sure. So I asked him if he thought that a college might help with economic development. And he said, well, come back up and let's talk about it. So I came back up and and by the time I got there, he had the state senator in his office, and things just started to roll. And the next thing we knew, Karen and I were sitting at home and said, you know, if we're going to do this in Maryland, we can't do it from here. And so we left. We dropped everything, sold the house, quit the university, and, and came up here to get it started. Wow. wow. Now, what so, was the so, time frame on that? Was that like a, a year? Was it six months? We moved here in early 2020 made plans in late 2019 moved up here in 2020 and we we had kind of a soft start in 2021 uh, really this is our real first year of of students but we we so the paint's we not the paint's not dry yet edward yeah no yeah we're we're pretty fresh uh, so, so i gotta so, ask you 
if you've looked at the demographics with young people entering into college age, and you've looked at the um, the horrid outlook of colleges that, I mean, institutions that are 7,500, 150 years old, some of these are on the ropes. Some of them aren't going to... There, I saw one estimate that said by the year 2030, as much as as many as 25% of colleges will not exist that exist today. And you're starting one. What's going on? Yeah, you know, we joke about this. We said, you know, if you if you took a timeline and you researched the point on that timeline that would be the worst time in 100 years to open a college, it would be right about now. <laughs> so, but we're, you know... I mean, obviously, we have to have students to run, but we're not doing. We're doing this for bigger reasons. We're doing this because it's something that needs to be done, and no colleges are doing it. And we may grow and to be big, and we may not. But that's not. That's not the concern. The concern is if we're doing God's work, and helping to restore the faith, then then if it's small, that's fine. Okay. Now you so, said we're doing what needs to be done. What is it? Yeah, so there are a couple of things in in higher education. The first is it's completely unaffordable. Mm-hmm, and we can right. talk about that in detail. But but the the cost of higher education is just beyond the reach of most normal people. Mm-hmm. The second is that the education itself, um, colleges have become overpriced trade schools. Really? They'll, University of Florida had 300 undergraduate majors. Wow. And so we've convinced people that, that colleges are a place where you go to get uh, technical training to go into various trades. For example, if I want to go, if I want to decide I want to be a hotel manager, I go get a degree in hotel management. Sure. Well, it's a fraud. I mean, that's not how you get become a hotel manager. You become a hotel manager by going and getting a job in the front desk, desk <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and working really hard for six months. And then you sit down with the manager and say, you know, I really like this business. I'd like to, I would like to um, advance in this business and become a manager someday or maybe even a hotel. And then that person will take you under wing and train you to do, need, learn all the things that you need to learn. It's like that for most industries. There are very few industries that people offer college degrees on that you need a college degree to work in that field. College has to be for something much deeper. And ultimately, college has to be about learning how to learn, learning how to be adaptable, and seeking the truth. I mean, if we, if we, if we get through this life and we haven't really engaged learning in order to seek truth, which is ultimately God, it doesn't matter what we do in this life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the notion of liberal arts, which is, that's its ultimate purpose, is to, is to seek the truth, which is God, that's, that's dying. There are very few colleges that are strictly liberal arts schools. Many of them say we have a liberal arts core and so on, but it's, it, it's not what liberal arts education is about. So the second thing is that, is that colleges have really lost their way in terms of what higher education should really be about. 
there are a few areas where you might, if you're going to be an engineer, you've got to get an undergraduate engineering degree. Sure. That just, all right. I mean, I, uh, when I cross a bridge, I want to know it was built by an engineer, <laughs> not a philosopher. Uh, Amen. So, In theory, so that, it should stay there. <laughs> yeah, there are a handful. Um, and, the, and the third thing is, Catholic colleges was specifically have simply just lost their way. Uh, they're, they're Catholic in name only. Sinos. And, yeah, and, and that, so we've set out to address those three issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, we're we're pretty alone. Um, there, there, there are a few. We have a few um, partners out there, but but we have we've taken a slightly different path than even they have. So this, I know we're kind of coming to the end of this segment. It's, Sixty seconds. It sounds like some of the great books curriculums. Is that at all like what you're doing? They're related, but they have some differences, and I'll be happy to talk about that in more detail, probably in the next segment. Yes. Let's bring that up in the uh, next segment. Our guest is Edward Schaefer and his interesting story of starting a college from scratch. Was Was it one of those yellow books that said college starting for dummies or something like that? Well, no, it was more of a book about colleges are started only by dummies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, you've gone there. The college is thecollegium.org, the-collegium.org. Edward Schaefer is the president, and we'll be back in, in two minutes here on The Chatter. We're back, Colleen. This is The Chatter. It's the episode number 80. And a fascinating topic on starting a new college in this day and age. Um, We're speaking with Edward Schaefer, who did just that, started a brand new college. And when we left the last segment, we were just starting to talk about how the Collegium, his college, is different from the great books programs like St. Thomas Aquinas out in California. So can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, now, let me say, schools like Thomas Aquinas and Wyoming Catholic, they do very, very good work. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't say this disparagingly, but we've chosen a slightly different path. The first is that great books are also wedded to what they call the Socratic method of teaching. Sure. So- we have no Socrates. Yeah, we, we use a Socratic method, but we're not wedded to it. Okay. Um, Socratic method is useful for some things and some people, some things better than others. So we, it's in our toolbox, but we, we don't limit ourselves to one pedagogical method. So, Edward, that. break that down for uh, pedestrians on John F. Kennedy Road, the Socratic method you would define as? Well, a lot of people call it sort of the discussion method. Sure. All right, that's what people... Typically, where the, uh, a good teacher will lead a discussion that, um, that takes the students from what they know to where, where they need to go, I suppose. Right? Um, and, and the theory is that by them having embraced the material, mm-hmm. that they will, they will travel that path and um, 
learn better. So you and, use and that. It's in your toolbox, but you use it's some. It's in the toolbox, but, but it's not exclusive to what we do. Okay. Uh, what else? So, what else would you use in the box, the toolbox? Well, um, we'll use projects that students do, which is kind of related, but it's not just discussion-based. We'll, we'll use lectures when lectures are appropriate. Um, we teach languages. They well, take uh, eight semesters of Latin. That makes us unique. Nobody wow. teaches eight semesters of Latin. And, wow. Um, they'll, we'll, we teach that as, as a spoken language. So there's a whole lot of technique there that's entirely different from what you would expect. Uh, typical schools will, uh, it's kind of a decoding exercise, you do grammar and translation. Mm -hmm. uh, and we approach it very differently for a whole number of reasons. Par pedagogically, because we, we think more input methods create better learning. But, uh, you know, Latin is our language. I mean, that's the language of the church. Sure. And and we need we need to we need to know it because it, because it's for no other reason it's because of language, but more so because the great writers have written language, and the medieval Latin in which the great writers have done the, the medieval Latin of the mass is is a perfect form of the language for expressing the beliefs, the theology of the church, both poetically and concisely. Mm -hmm. And so, so I got I got to ask you, Edward. I know the school's been around for a few years, and you're getting it. But what kind of fruits are you seeing with the classical Latin in the curriculum? Anything yet? Well, okay, we're we're in our first full year of operation. We mm. kind of had a what I said a start. So yes, we are. Um, students are. It takes a little while because they're not used to this sort of thing. And, and our particular class has not had a lot of, only one of our students has had any language training before. So so it's hard for them even to make the transitions. For example, if they studied another modern language, how that could transfer in. Only one student has picked that up quite well, but the others, it's, it's all new. It's fascinating to watch how eventually they... They listen a little bit better. Think of it like a child. You know, at first they listen an awful lot. Mm -hmm. And they're understanding, but they haven't figured out how to, how to return speak, speech yet. And then eventually they start in simple phrases, and it's the same thing happens. And now some of our students are they're going and trying to find other subjects that they can create little Latin conversations in. So it's, it's, it's not just helping with the language. It's just helping with all of their learning. Sure. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's quite fascinating to see it mm -hmm. and very rewarding, actually. The last segment, you had a phrase that caught my ear. This is a part of the, and I'm paraphrasing, you said part of what a college should do is teach students, you, they should learn about how to learn. And Colleen, I have lamented in the previous 79 shows time to time, there's a lack of critical thinking among among school-age children where you would think they would get this and certainly they end up becoming adults in the workforce and in congregations. So go deeper on what you mean that it's a college's responsibility to teach to that they learn to learn. Sure and th this is also one of the things that I think makes us a little different. It's the way that we integrate or the, the sequential nature of our curriculum that we do as best we can with within the confines of an eight semester program. 
You know, just, just thinking about the workplace today, most people will change jobs two or three times during their career. Sure. Uh, the days where people get a job at the company and they stay with them for 35 or 40 years and have a pension at the end, those, those days are gone. It's, it's very rare. And so people have to have skill sets that are transferable and they have to have the ability to know how they're transferable and, and to be able to make that, that, those shifts. They have to be able to go from one job and be able to sit with an employer and say, these are the things that I did in this job and, this, and the skills that I had to use them to do those could help you in these ways. I mean, people have to have that ability. And, and a liberal arts program helps you to do that. Now we do it very specifically. We have, um, we have six, three, three years where they spend in a trivium sequence. So logic, they learn how to think. Mm -hmm. Rhetoric, they learn how to speak. They learn how to write. Um, and they, they, and they, very specifically take those skills and they apply them not just in the other courses. I mean, that's why it comes first so that they can begin to apply those in the other courses. Um, but hopefully then we give them experiences where they can apply them beyond courses as well. Our, every one of our students, this is another unique factor, every one of our students has to work eight hours a week. Really? And while I don't think they make the connections immediately, but the fact that they've had this kind of education about how to think, how to learn, how to create, a, how to problem solve, they have opportunities to apply that in the various jobs that they have around town. Sometimes the jobs are menial. It's not like they're trying to solve world problems or anything. But, but those skills start small and they grow and they, and they help them in many settings, whether it's their family or their career down the road. So they're working so, off campus? For eight hours a week, they are. They're working. Uh, some of the jobs are on campus because we have specific needs that have to get met. But uh, everybody, most of them are off campus. Off campus meaning within walking distance. We're a downtown campus, mm -hmm. uh, so they're within walking distance, and they're doing everything from working for a watch shop to caterers to uh, insurance company. They're they're working in all the businesses downtown. What's the feedback from the uh, business community seeing the college students come down working? Well, the, we, they, we get specific feedback from them, and they're all very happy with our students. So mm -hmm. we're, we're pleased about that. The downtown community also is happy with us because we're, at this point we're, we're small. We're too small to have our own uh, dining facilities and, and professional staff. So, and this is a problem the students helped us solve. They go on before lunch and dinner. Breakfast we serve as a kind of hotel buffet. And they put things on a list that they want and we shop for them. And it's, it's very informal. Lunch and dinner we eat together. We sing the Angelus and Grace before and after the meals. Two hours before meals, they go onto a Google form and, and go on to a restaurant menu the restaurant that we're going to eat at that day. They they pick what they want from the menu, fill it into the form. We call the restaurant about an hour before, and then it's waiting for us when we get there. So we're eating in 10 different restaurants downtown, and they're happy to see us. I'll so eating as a class <laughs> or eating together, it's not that one goes this way, one goes that way. Yeah, that that's another part of the program. Um, now, not everybody comes to every meal, but but 
meals are really important. They are. Um, meals in a family are where families happen. I mean, it's where the good news gets shared and the and the, the problems are solved and where the difficulties, I mean, families are most families at mealtime. And, and we've discovered that um, some of our, a lot of our students, I can't give you the number, you know, they, they come, families get so busy, they don't eat meals together. Mm-hmm. And, and we've said, no, that's, you know, you need to develop, our goal is to help them de- develop virtuous habits, right? Ultimately, our goal is to help them get to heaven. That's our primary goal. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and learning how to have meals together is really important. I couldn't we've got ag- a great group this year that has embraced the idea wholeheartedly. So sometimes we have a hard time getting them away from the table. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I have to, I'll share a little story. Several years ago, and I don't have the data in front of me, there was a study done of students who had become national merit scholars. And they looked for commonalities. What are the kinds of things that a person would do to become a national merit scholar? They could find only one common trait among all the scholars that year. Mm-hmm. They came from families that ate meals together. Hmm. Wow. That's something. Wow. Our guest is Ed Schaefer. He is the president of a college you've never heard of and a, and a college like no other, Colleen, mm-hmm. the Collegium. Hagerstown, Maryland, is that correct, Edward? Hagerstown, Maryland. Hagerstown, Maryland. And um, you've got a business model for higher education like, like nobody else I've heard. This is incredible. Yeah, we're, we, um, we have no infrastructure costs. We, we collaborate with all the downtown entities. So, for example, we, we pray at St. Mary's Church, which was established in 1758. It's a, it's a lovely building built in uh, 1824, 1826. Um, so we have mass there. We sing, we sing lauds and vespers there every day. Um, it's a beautiful little place for us. We rent space in a historic hotel. We, we actually have most of the building at this point, and we'll probably take the whole building over in the next two or three years. For dormitory? Uh, for dormitory space. And uh, so there's that. We, we lease space in the University of Maryland Teaching Center downtown, so we, have, we use their classroom space. We eat in 10 restaurants in town. The, li- the county library is our library of record. We do have our own collection of books that are specific to our needs. But in terms of the state and accreditation requirements for a library, that is our library of record. And we have a contract with them. They're, one of their reference libraries is assigned to us for all our needs. They have an incredible interlibrary loan system that connects us to the University of Maryland system. And we can get anything, any of the four million plus books from that wow. system within a day. So just looking at those, you know. So your overhead cost, your your fixed cost, infrastructure, built, brick and mortar is zero or close to it. Yeah, the rent for the for the hotel, the um, the dormitory space, that that's about it. But otherwise, we have no infrastructure costs. Wow. Um, and so there are a lot of schools that 
wish they were in this position right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, so we've just, you know, and, and another thing about this, being downtown allows us, one of our marks of our school is that we say we're in the world and not of the world. And this allows us to be downtown mingling with the people in the restaurants, the businesses. There's an abortion clinic a block away from us. We can do sidewalk counseling. We're connected to the church for a lot of really wonderful activities. We know from our our formation at the school, our own spiritual lives, that you know this isn't our final place. But here we can be in this community and help make a difference in this community without being subsumed by it. So I think being downtown is a really good model for us. Incredible. Yeah, I was just on your website, the the hyphen collegium dot org, and I'm looking at your campus, and um, I'm looking at St. Mary's Catholic Church that you just mentioned and the hotel, and then I see there's a little Google map, and it says all facilities are in a four block range on the two main streets of downtown. So you're spread in the downtown, but not spread too far apart. Sounds like everything's no, in walkable. No, our, our- from the from the dorm, which is kind of our hub, our breakfast room is there, and we have a common room there. St. Mary's is two blocks one way, and the library, which is the farthest building, is two blocks the other way, hmm. which nice. is closer than a lot of students will find on on traditional campuses. Right. I went to the University of Iowa. Nothing was within two blocks. It was a you had a high tail it across the campus. parking lot was two blocks long. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah. So God, God has had His hand in this for sure. We couldn't mm-hmm. have laid this out more efficiently. Mm-hmm. It's been great. We're nearly out of time in segment number two, Edward. Um, about two minutes left, but you struck something uh, that I haven't heard, and I put together uh, a couple of children through college. We know a lot of couples, families with other children. I haven't heard anyone since I went to college in the last century who took logic, rhetoric, and composition. Is anybody in the country teaching that anymore? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine that in the great books programs there's some component. I'm talking about the major state universities. Oh, no, the, no, no, no. So nobody in the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the 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 uh, incredible Colleen. Mm-hmm. No wonder they. No, yeah, no, I don't gone. think the I don't think most of the big universities and colleges are teaching their students how to learn, which is what um, Ed Schaefer was just telling us about and why that's so important. Well, that would explain it: logic, rhetoric, and and uh, composition. Our guest is Ed Schaefer. With a uh, college like no other, it's the Collegium at thecollegium.org in downtown Hagerstown, Maryland. And we're going to bring them back for another 18-minute segment on the chatter right after this break on FM 98.3 KCRD. We're back. This is the chatter, and you are in the chatter box. We have a. We've never had a show quite like this. College. Never. Well, I've never heard of a college like this. This is Ed Schaefer. The college is the hyphen 
collegium.org, Hagerstown, Maryland. And uh, Colleen, you had all kinds of questions. Yeah, well, on the break, we were talking to Ed about this. And, and in the first segment, you mentioned how you had been a long time at, a, at another college. Um, and then you had seen some things happen there that were, were not very good or good for the, the kids and a lot of secularism coming in. So tell me the role of tradition at this college. I'm sure it's going to be important because that's one of the big disappointments you had. So tell me about the role of tradition at your college. Sure. So we like to say that we don't, we don't accommodate tradition. We embrace it. And mm. I, this is probably the thing that makes us unique in the country. Now, let me talk about this a little bit. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. In, in Catholic circles, if you're in a room of people, yeah. you, you'd, you'd think that, you know, Catholics are sort of tradition-minded just by definition. But, but all you have to do is say the word tradition, and everything changes in the room. Oh, yeah. We've experienced <laughs> the that. The body language changes. You know, you start to have to be defensive. It's just, you know. Mm-hmm. So so let me be clear. And, and let me give you some the rationale. So we say that we embrace tradition. And what does that mean? That means when we sing the office um, uh, in the morning and the afternoon, we sing the traditional divine office according to the uh, Benedictine, traditional Benedictine model. Hmm. Um, we attend the traditional Latin mass. Now, why do we do this? We do this for two reasons. One, there's an academic reason. If our curriculum is based on the teachings of Christ, the apostles, the fathers of the church, the great writers of the church, it only makes sense that the spiritual formation of the college is also tied to the mass that nurtured their faith formation and the development of their intellect. I mean, it's a logical academic connection. The second, however, is even more important. If you look at the statistics today, I think the latest studies now are placing the regular mass attendance of all Catholics mm-hmm. at under 20%, mm-hmm. regular weekly attendance at under mm-hmm. 20%. Yep. The young Catholic group of that between say 18 and 30 is lower than that. I've seen numbers as low as 7%. Right. And most, not all, but most of these young people lose their faith in college. Yep. That's, you could, you could do a poll of all your, your, um, your listeners who have post-college age children and find out how many of them are still practicing the faith and when did they stop going to mass. Oh yeah, and some um, of those polls show that, you know, um, high school seniors might go to college, a Catholic college, and when they go there, they're pro-life, they go to mass, and four years later, by the time they come out, they're not pro-life, they're not going to mass. I mean, you can, you've seen lots of polls right, saying those right, things. Right. However, if you filter that data, for people who are attached to the traditional Latin mass, the regular mass attendance of young people, 18 to 30 age, mm-hmm. jumps from 7% to 98%. 98%? Run that, run, run that by us again, Ed. If you filter the data 
In other words, the, the aggregate data says that young Catholics who are between 18 and 32, the, the numbers vary, but the lowest number I've seen is the regular mass, the regular weekly mass attendance is 7%. I've seen numbers as high as 18%. Um, but if you filter that data for, for young Catholic adults who are attached to the traditional Latin mass, their regular weekly attendance at Mass is 98%. That's incredible. Now, that's not a statistical rounding error. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're right. From 7 that, to 98. That, that's not plus or minus 3%. Ed. So, so, you know, I would think parents, no matter what you sort of think about, you know, the tradies and they're all, you know, rigid, crazy people, when I would see that number, I would say, you know, this is something for the benefit of my family I need to look at. And and we embrace it for that reason simply because, as I've said earlier, our primary mission is to help these students develop lives virtue of virtue and wisdom that will help them get to heaven. And so if tradition is going to help them get to heaven, then we're going to embrace it. Well, you know, it occurs to me as you're talking that Vatican II called for the lay people um, to take a more active role in the faith. And, and to me, it seems like you're living out what Vatican II asked lay people to do. Well, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> we can't. I mean, you know, and, and, lay, and you're, doing, you're in the world, but you're not of the world, but you didn't leave the faith behind. You're in the world, and you're promoting the traditional faith, and that's what Vatican II called the lay people to do. So for people that think that tradition is opposed to Vatican II and vice versa, I think you're, you're, um, you're living out what Vatican II asked people, the lay people, to do. Compare and contrast this concept that you're doing. Ed, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when you, uh, you, you just did this statistic, Seven to ninety-five percent of uh, difference between seven percent of the students between eighteen and thirty-five uh, that are going to a traditionally centered faith. What do you make of the the population at large that is that recoils from tradition, and yet their solution? Uh, to this horrific participation in the faith and ignorance of the faith. I mean, seven percent is just horrific. What do you make when when people want to do more of the same? That when when they make the statement that, well, it'd be better. We just we just haven't given enough of a chance. We need to do more of that. Talk, talk to that issue. Yeah, one more one more version of a new evangelization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, many, how many new evangelizations do we have? Well, I, I want to be a little careful because uh, don't we're hurt very yourself. Careful. We don't we don't bash people who don't see the world through our lens. That's just not our. It's not charitable. It's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not asking um, for a bashing. I'm, uh, an objective observation of 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 what's what's going on. What what do you make of it? Well, you know, there was such a revolution in the, in the 60s after the council. I mean, I'm old enough. I lived through all that. I served mass in the old mass. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a real old timer, okay? Um, I, I just think 
there was so much that went wrong that was never part of what the council uh, mm-hmm. asked for or, or ordered or anything. I mean, there was just a complete revolution in the church. And unfortunately, now we have now going on three generations of people who have been who have been subjected to really um, p- poor catechesis, poor formation, uh, and even just just things that are blatantly wrong. Um, I mean, how did we get to I, just what this last week the the German bishops have now have now endorsed blessings for same sex unions. How did we get there? Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, it, it it it's just been a a constant pro- process, and uh, unfortunately, people who are are well-meaning, well-intentioned, um, try to live the faith, they're not aware. They're just not aware of what has happened in their teaching catechesis formation, and so I. You know, I don't know. I don't know how the answer to it. I just, I, if I can save my own soul and bring a few with me, then then I, that's about. I'll be happy if I can do that. Well, sometimes um, it seems like after after the Second Vatican Council, people threw the baby out with the bathwater, and it seems to me that by keeping tradition, you 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 have not done that. You've brought the best of the past 2,000 years that the church has to teach, and you're also very aware of the current situation in the world. How can people um, live virtuously? How can students learn how to critically think, write, reason, and get to heaven? So to me, that's almost the best of both worlds. You know, when we, we talk about the Catholic Church, we say we're, there are four marks of the Catholic Church, right? We're one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Mm-hmm. When we say we're apostolic, what we mean is that we 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 embrace the teachings that were given to us by Christ and the apostles, mm-hmm. and and we do what Christ and the apostles did, mm-hmm. and 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 our job is not to innovate on that. Our job is to protect it, mm-hmm. and and that's I think where we we had a real left turn in the '60s that somehow the church had to find a new way, and. It's not what the Catholic Church is. The so, Catholic Church is not about innovation. The Catholic Church is about uh, sanctification through through preserving what what Christ has given us. So then you mentioned and, uh, a couple of the things that uh, a couple of the ways that you instill that love of tradition in the students, praying certain prayers together. What about um, what are some of the other ways that you instill a love for tradition in the students? Well, you see it in the in the curriculum. Now, I teach some of the music. I teach the music courses, so, uh, and I also teach some Latin, so I can talk very specifically about what happens in my classes. But I know this happens in all the other classes. When we teach music, it's really focused on the great musical patrimony of the church. Hmm. So our goal, my goal, is that students develop an appreciation for the greatest music of Western civilization that was given to us by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And and so that feeds through everything. In the Latin curriculum, anytime we have an opportunity to take things that, that the, the texts are actually developed around a story of a family. 
but the but the author of the of the curriculum it was really brilliant in pulling words into their dialogue that appear in the office and in the mass. And so whenever we have that chance, I'll pull them out and we'll learn a new concept in Latin and then we'll say, now here's where it shows up in mass and here's where it shows up mm. in the office. And and so they begin right from the beginning to see this connection. Mm. Uh, so we, we just feed this in everything that we do. That's So it's not just one, one way, it permeates the all the curriculum, no matter what track they're in, no matter what they're studying, it's tradition permeates all of it. Absolutely. That's awesome. Ed, we got about, excuse me, we got about five minutes left. Uh, Where are these students coming from and what are their families like? Well, uh, our students are coming from all over the country, uh, California, Omaha, Texas, Tennessee, and then some in the area of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia. And it looks like next year's class is going to continue that. Uh, we've got people coming from across the country. Uh, the families are great. I mean, uh, there's, um, you know, the, the students are great. And, you know, we say the nut doesn't fall too far from the tree. So they come from really, really wonderful families. Mm-hmm. They're a mix. We've got some that have come from uh, what you would call regular schools, some that are homeschooled, and some that come from more classical uh, academies like the Chesterton schools. So it's it's not a one size one. Um, it, it's it's not a one. Uh, it's not monolithic. It's it's quite diverse, even in the small number that and we I, have. And how did these families? Because you're you're a startup. How did these families find out about you? I mean, you're a, a uni- mix- you're a unicorn. You don't exist yeah. anywhere. Yeah, it was a mixture of things. I know uh, the people from the West, I traveled really hard in the West for a year, just knocking on every door. Um, and that seems to have per- uh, borne some fruit now. Um, the rest is just, it's by God's grace. We are now, as of about three weeks ago, we are in the Newman Guide to Catholic Colleges. Good. That won't make a big difference this fall because most people have made their decisions. Although not everybody. So if people want to apply, we're still, we'll still take their application. But uh, I think it'll make a huge difference in terms of people knowing that we exist next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I think it'll make a big difference. For sure. I, I, I want to make sure, I know we're running out of time, so I want to make sure I, I leave you with one thing, if I may. The one thing that I notice when I talk to parents uh, about the college, now there are a few things. Some people get nervous about startups, and some people... You know, want a bigger school and things like that. I, I can't fix those things. I can't mm-hmm. make us not a startup. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but but the one thing that I think can make a difference, and and parents, I think, struggle with this. And I just want to give them some encouragement. Parents will come to us and say, "We think this is incredible. This is a dream come true. This mm-hmm. is exactly what we've been looking for." We, we love the faith, the way, you, the way you give it to our kids. We love the fact that you're as concerned about their salvation as we are. We love the curriculum, and they go on and on. And so then we sit down and they say, okay, here's a list of things that we want to have. And we, you know, we want a student union, and we want a hockey club, and we want a what, whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. all these sort of college amenities. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm not saying those things aren't important at some level. Um, and as we grow, we'll have more of those things that we can handle with, uh, within, within reason and not having to triple tuition. Mm-hmm. 
But I want to encourage parents to think about the fundamentals. Is it really more important that you have a intercollegiate basketball team? It, is it so important that you would put your child's soul in harm's way to get that? Mm-hmm. Or that you would go borrow forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and unfortunately that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um I, I don't know how to explain it because it it does it makes no sense to me, um, but I, I just I want to encourage parents to think about what's really important. Mm-hmm. So talking about money, the average college four year degree and and the collegiums average four year degree. Make a comparison there. What's the marketplace look like? I think the schools that we compete with. The packages, the 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 retail price is around fifty thousand or more, mm-hmm. and ours is nineteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think that their range is somewhere between fifty and sixty thousand when you add on fees and books and things like that. So we're we're running about a third of the cost of those schools. Now we do have these schools will have high levels of what they call financial aid. They'll discount the tuition. Sure. Um, we don't do much of that. We have worked with a couple of families who come with us, really large families, and, you know, one wage earner in the phone, home, and we do what we can to help them. We, but we don't do a lot of that. Um, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a Sam's Club model for pricing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, it, it helps us by not having to run an entire financial aid office by saying, oh, we're going to charge you 80000 but then we're going to make up all these scholarships to give you to get the cost down. Um, we, we have told people that if they can come to us with a bona fide offer from another school for less, we'll match it. Mm-hmm. And no one's been able to do that yet. Because um, you're already so. there. We're already there. Mm-hmm. We're already there. Yeah. Edward, we're running out of time. As we said, segment three is the fastest of them all. But give it give it to us again. How do parents and students get a hold of you at the Collegium? Give us the all the contacts, please. Well, if they go to our website, they, there's a link right as soon as you open the website to look at the admissions page. And so it's the-collegium.org. So that's... The easiest way to go right to the website. I'll give you my phone number. They can call me directly if they want. If somebody's got a direct question, they can call me. Go ahead. My my direct number is 412-913-2985. That's 412-913-2985. And I'll be happy to talk to anybody that wants to call me. This is Edward Schaefer. He's the president. He's the only president of a college in the country that gives out his own phone number (laughs) at the Collegium. Mom and dads, listen up. This is the real thing. Edward, thank you. You've been a tremendous guest, and we'll uh, have to bring you on back uh, as we get closer to... I guess you don't have a football team. We'll we'll uh, we'll watch somebody else play, Ed. Yeah. Well, you've been delightful host. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank for you. joining us. We're going to close with a prayer, Edward, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory, Glory be. be to the Father and to the Amen. Son and Son to the Holy Spirit, the Holy as it was in the beginning, in the beginning is, now, is now, and ever shall, shall, be, be, shall be, world without end. Without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On behalf of Ed Schaefer, Colleen Pasnick, I'm Tom Oglesby. We love you. Tune in again next week.